Okay, hello everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Comedians Exposed, the podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability. Today's guest, uh, we're really going to get into the dark side of things, I'm hoping. This person, you're going to know them as co-founder of Carney Commission. They are creator of the audio experience. And that's the only way to describe it. Balls, it's amazing. Please welcome Carl Callen to Comedians Exposed. Welcome, Carl. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being <laughs> here today. So, uh, I, oh, I'm sorry, go on. Oh, no, go on. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just saying I was looking forward to, to finally being on because uh, I've been watching the show and stuff and I enjoy it. So thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you. Um, I feel like, especially, I just want to let everybody listening know, because I do put the podcast up available to watch on YouTube. Um, And normally what we do is we record through Zoom. So today, Carl's here, and he is the first guest I've ever had who I can hear him, right? But I can't see him. So I'm really excited. We talked about this. This is going to be an experiment so I'm excited that he's willing to kind of partake. I'm curious to see how it is going to impact the episode. So again, I'm really grateful though, Carl, because like I said, I really enjoyed watching you perform. Um, Carl, to me, and like, again, I really find this whole setup right now really fitting because there's something so intelligent, intelligent about your comedy um, that I really enjoy. And can you do me a favor and let everybody know where they could find you on social media before we get started. Yeah, I'm Carl C. Callen on Facebook. Instagram, we have a Carney Commission page. So it's like the town Carney and Commission. Um, my personal Instagram, I have a really weird handle that that's always hard to explain, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's a long one and you'll see it attached to the Carney Commission. So you can find me there. And um the ball show streams on like Apple podcasts and Spotify and stuff. And uh, I think, yeah, I think we now put that under Carney commission. So it should come up like Carney commission balls or whatever. So just, just the usual things, just the usual. I, I, I think I have a Twitter, but I don't go on. So I don't really, I don't really have any, not that I have a following anywhere, but I don't really have, like, I don't really interact or, or anything on Twitter. So just, just Facebook and Instagram normally. Definitely. Oh, I think everybody should check it out, especially like balls. I just want to say that I love the concept of it. It is um, like, for I, I'm going to describe it to me as almost like, just like, there's something classic about it. Like when, you know, radio programs existed and you had these intense storylines and it's like, but it's funny, but it's really well written. Like, how did you come up with this? Um, the ball story goes back probably like a couple years before I actually started stand up. Um, I was like, I guess like it was like 2016, 2017. So like, Everything was saturated with the whole, not cancel culture yet, but I guess uh, political correctness because like, like the, the election and Trump and everything. And I came up with this story about like a guy who's basically like he's kind of got nothing. And then it just dawns on him 
that it would be kind of funny to start a fast food place called Balls, like the joke of like eating balls or like whatever, just whatever ball, but his name is Balls. So he's like, they can't even get me for being like a fucking funny guy or like a wise ass because it's just my name. I won't, I don't know why I'm getting so into the fucking whatever, but I basically came up with this story about a restaurant guy who uh, his, his like fast food place blows up, but then he gets shot like mysteriously. And um, my intention was always to tell like his inside story, which it's a mystery to them too. Cause it's just, you know, he's a little bit of like a social media guy where he's like, you know, he's kind of like that, like playful freedom of speech warrior. Like when, when things resurface that he kind of used language that people deem homophobic because somebody filmed him on Snapchat, they try to like ruin his business and stuff. Yeah. And he has a way of kind of just saying like, I don't give a fuck. Like, and, and he kind of holds his ground, but he has like no real enemies so that he just gets mysteriously gunned down like uh, 10 years. So he gets killed in 2027. And um, I don't know what happened or why it just suddenly, I think I just really wanted to get the story out in some capacity yeah. just to show that it exists. Cause I just have, like uh, I'm not on screen, but like I got like all these notebooks here full of his story and his whatever. And I was just like, you know, before there's some kind of big smash hit about a fast food guy who gets killed or something. And then people would be like, oh, what are you ripping off fucking whatever show? I was like, what if I just, you know, I can stream it for free and find some way to tell the story, but, you know, not tell the story. Uh-huh. And I just I really like Tim Tim Rager. I, I met him and stuff and, and I felt like he really had kind of like a classic lovable like Seinfeld-esque like he's likable like Seinfeld to me like just from the outside like watching him yeah and, stuff. and I was just like what if we did kind of like a sitcom that's set even further in the future and it finds some weird reason for somebody to like look into this story of the dead guy and so I just kind of started thinking and then I just, I, you know, I just came up with like that loose storyline. I asked him and uh, he's a very nice guy. He said, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I just tried this to come up with this idea of kind of like, instead of Seinfeld, who's a successful comedian, we have like a comedian who failed and now it's the future and he's a professor and he's kind of miserable. So why, you know, maybe that can be a sitcom. Like it'll kind of <laughs> like, you know, he's trying to solve the case, but he's not really trying to solve the case. It's kind of like a, almost like a background to, to his life, which, you know, just finds him having strange conversations and getting into weird situations and meeting weird people pretty much just like, you know, a a sitcom would. So that's kind of like, I think how it came about. It's a little bit of a blur, but I feel like it kind of like went like that. Like it just dawned on me. I was like, you know, I should just try to like, tell the story somehow in any way possible, even if it's not the, like, get out of that mentality. You know, like when you're a kid and you're like, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And it's going to be my book. Like, and then when you get older, you learn, you got to just write. Yes. I no, I think that's outstanding. And I, I've said before, I love the fact like being doing comedy, you meet people who are just creating like, you know, um, just like at the, you're not, you're not 
worried about the outcome, you're, you're actually doing it. And that's so important. And like, again, it's really enjoyable. And I do love Tim Rager, you know, um, he does add again, like, I love how you're able to find that person that fits the vision in your head. And Tim is very lovable. So it's an amazing project. And how, again, though, like, because again, you talked about this idea of cancel culture and political correctness kind of like playing in. Um, what, what was your fear about those things and creating balls? Um, no fear at all, I guess, because like, I always like maintain the thing of like, I'm a nobody <laughs> and watch, like, I'll kind of say anything and it's not going to matter because I'm, you're like kind of the idea of like, it can't get you until you have something to be, to get taken away from you. Like, unless you have a show that gets backed by something like they really can't take it. Oh, and that was kind of like the character of Michael Ball more than like me so much. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Cause again, I, I didn't do stand up until like 2018, which was relatively deep into like, I think I was 29 or 28 or something. So like I was almost 30. I had never had any actual public success or and no, no kind of like, I never had to, so to see the new thing, like in the culture about you can't say this, you can't say that. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I grew up watching stuff from like the three decades and then the present one that I was living in. And it seemed like people just said whatever the fuck they wanted yeah. like for the most part. And so I, I never really, I never really considered it. And then with the balls thing, just just like knowing that it was always a part of the story like you're like like the idea of like something about freedom of speech or whatever like it's it, it's intertwined in the story it's aware of you know the dangers i guess of saying the wrong thing or getting into some kind of um but uh just for me yeah i i I can't say that I haven't thought about it, but then I kind of feel silly because I still haven't made it just because I go to like, you know, open mics, <laughs> like kind of thing. Like, cause that kind of became like a, like I'd never done that before. So that kind of changed my perspective on things. It can make you more aware that maybe people don't really care, you know, like, and that it's not as big of a, of a, like the whole, like, uh, you know, just people getting canceled and people really being upset about things. Like if there's something, if there's something to gain because you just saw a famous comedian say something that you think could offend people or whatever, like there's an article to be written, but like, you know, when I perform people, you know, they may hate me or something. Like mm -hmm. the, I performed last week and a guy just said, yelled, fuck you, you suck, bro. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I, I was drunk and I didn't really, I was really too drunk. I, I haven't performed a lot and I drank wine for some reason. Yeah. And, and I went up at the end and I was just obliterated. And I really don't know what, it was just like a fuck you, bro. You suck, bro. Like, like almost just like, was it like, something that you said that triggered him or was it? I honestly don't know. And I asked like a couple, you know, Kelsey was there, a couple other comedians and yeah, I don't think there was like a specific 
or, or that anything that anybody picked up on that might have, um, which is really, I think, like a good uh, metaphor for, I guess, like what I'm trying to explain as in like, if somebody gets upset about something, like it happens and then like, I think it's over with. Like, I don't know what happened. The guy yelled something. He yelled something about Dave Chappelle. I don't know what he was like uh, yelling, accusing me of or something. And I just was like, like, I basically was just like, ah, fuck you. I don't know. Like, and, uh, and then, you know, it's upsetting. It definitely like those things like upset me and stuff, but. Why? How come it's upsetting? Um, I guess. In this, like, in this most recent case, it was just really like blindsided me, and and uh, not performing a lot. I I like because I feel like I have issues with when I perform consistently. That I have like a um, I don't know. It's a strange thing. Like I don't know if I love it, but I don't not do it. I don't know if it makes me feel good. I don't know. Like I really have like maybe I can be very cynical. And maybe I can like look for reasons why things are gonna go terrible before they go terrible. And what happens is they end up just going like not bad, you know? Like uh, it's like a coping mechanism, right? But the, that's what our brains do. Our brains always condition us to prepare for the worst, you know, it's survival. Yeah, so, so like- um, But then you also reason. have to think about the component. Are you attracting that energy? A lot of comedians I've heard from say it's all like this self-fulfilling prophecy that if you visualize you're going to kick ass, you're going to kick ass. Like, you know, I always take that with a grain of salt because it's like, I don't think it's so simple. I found it very relatable how you were saying like about like you don't love it, but you feel this need to do it. And- you know, um, I feel like that's very relatable for a lot of comedians. It's like, okay, what do you think that's about for you? Um, I, I, I wish that's a good question. And it's a tough one. Like, as, because I like, I, I think about it a lot, I guess, especially when I was performing more consistently, like it was always in the back of my head of like, like why is it when things go well I feel like shit but if I get heckled and I kind of have a meltdown I feel like shit too but you don't know until you do well and wake up feeling like shit that that feeling like shit is actually worse in a way or maybe less or maybe more like conducive to becoming complacent like I've got my few minutes I'm doing good and then it's like, well, now you might as well be doing anything else that you would call a job or like a thing that you do. Whereas I found that, um, you know, it going really, really bad a lot of times makes me want to perform more and want to perform again and want to write something new. And it's not always like, like an abandonment of like what I was, you know, what kind of material I was doing. It's not like, oh, they, they yelled something at me. So I'm going to do something new. Like, it's not that, but it's, um, it's a weird, I think it's a weird, uh, thing to do stand up comedy, at least like for me, like, because there's just contrasting things. I, I like, and not to say I've never felt good. Like when a set went good, like the next day or something, but it's like, 
it, it's not it's not as much of a of a difference one way or the other like like there's a weird kind of like like uh it just leaves me in that like kind of thing like when you do a thing that you you would say like i love like if put on the spot i'd be like i love it i love stand-up i love the idea of having a chance to going up there and then when you're in the moment like there's none of that <laughs> you know what i'm saying it like is all of a sudden just like i guess like it's always new so much so that it can be like there's a danger of it not having any like it almost becomes uniform because it's just it's always going into it and then going like i don't know how i'm gonna feel about this yeah. kind of thing and it's so I don't think going in blind to one extent, like you have, you're prepared in one level, but then on the same token, you're kind of going in blind because like every time you get up, it is a unique experience. So um, there's not like, I feel like that uniformity that comes with other art forms. Um, What drew you to comedy? Uh, I think just like, I think probably deep down, for, you know, I don't know, my whole life, maybe, like, maybe I didn't think in terms of stand-up comedy specifically, but always deep down, I feel like I always wanted to write, but there was another part of me that always thought, like, maybe I could act or something, or maybe I could be, uh, like, you know, not just the writing element of it. Like, I guess I grew up wanting to, like, write books and stuff, and, and that kind of but I also like, I think I wanted to like write like a movie or a TV show. And I think a little part of me always wanted to try the performing aspect of something. And, you know, I feel like in one way or another, I've been writing jokes my whole life. I just never. And then um, I think I just, you know, I was like 28 and, and like I wasn't uh, happy, I guess, like, I wasn't, like, nothing had really come of any of my hypothetical, and uh, there was an open mic across the street from where I work, and on a whim, because I realized in my pot smoking days, I didn't start smoking weed until I was in, like, my mid-20s, so um, I realized I had, like, this thing about, like, if there was something, like, that maybe I always wanted to do, I knew if I told somebody while we were smoking pot that I would do it, that then I have to do it because I said it to somebody and I don't want to look like a coward or like a, like a whatever. So I just kind of blurted out, like, there's an open mic across the thing. Like I'm going to go there and do stand up comedy and maybe like a poem or something. And it was kind of like, ha ha. Nobody really had to hold me to it. Cause I really was, I was like, I'm going to this thing. I don't know. It was like a, maybe like a few weeks I had to. And so then I just went and did it. So as far as drawing me to comedy, I guess just comedy my whole life. I was never like a huge stand-up fan, but I had like a few. Like I loved Eddie Murphy when I was younger. Like, right. like, a, like a couple things like that. And then I got into stand-up a little bit, I would say 2000. I would say I started to be into like Patrice O'Neill not long before he died, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like, so I would say for about five years, I was a little bit more like I watched like stand-up specials and and I was into it. It sounded a like, bit. though, for some extent, you were a performer, though. You said you liked performance before stand up. I like the idea of it. Oh, you, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I never, I never, I never actually did try to act or anything, but like <laughs> I, I always, I think, wanted to try, or at least that was something somewhere in the back of my mind that I, 
that I wanted to give a, a but I was like, on, like, honestly, I was really far from it. <laughs> you know, like when I think about like, I'm oh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Oh, I wanted to ask. So how do you find the performance aspect of doing standup? Like, how does it make you feel like in terms of what do you enjoy more? Like, do you enjoy more writing or do you actually enjoy the performance of being on stage? See, I think that's where it's like, it's the same paradox where I go, when I'm performing, I want to be writing. And when I'm writing, I want to be performing kind of thing. Like it's, it's, and not necessarily like I'm cognizant of it when I'm performing, but I do always feel like I've had trouble developing, I guess, control over the performance to where, you know, um, it, it, like, I feel like it was like with the performing thing, I, I'm going to like, I'm going to go up there and if I know what I'm doing and I feel like I know what I'm doing, I'm going to try to do it and, and, and do it well. And when I don't, my goal is to just make it look like I do know what I'm doing. Like, like it's kind of like one of those things. So I, I always feel like I'm kind of disguising what I don't know and kind of just hoping sometimes that like it'll come out and somebody will be like, you know, that they'll like my performance aspect of it. So like, I've never really been able with stand up like with that, like the analysis uh, and even watching myself back and trying to do that whole thing. Um, it's been hard. Like, I've never been, I haven't been able to like do it yet where I really like look and try to like, as far as like performance and the physical aspect of it, I've never really tried to like analyze it in a way of like, is that working or is that what's making, you know, like, I feel like a lot of times I'm just up there and it feels like, you know, almost not like a dream, like in a cheesy way, but kind of like that somebody just nudged me and was like, well, actually, that would be better for me if I just didn't know and I was blindfolded and then you just blindfolded me and pushed me out onto the stage. I think I would do a lot better than I do because it's all the like you said before, like like it's like a mind game with yourself, kind of like you're in your own head and you can be your own worst enemy and you can overthink. And I think I'm, I have like such a bad tendency to do that. Um, so as far as like with the performance thing. I haven't really been able to like really like analyze it in a way to go. I don't know. I just feel like I'm talking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and even though you go up there, like I have to like, there's something I'm making faces. I'm doing mannerisms. I'm trying to perform. But in my mind, it's kind of like, it's all just kind of like, oh shit. Like I'm up there. They're looking at me. Yeah. And I just yeah. try to kind of talk and stuff but I think I I would I can't say I don't enjoy it I mean I enjoy performing I enjoy performing but like I wish I could be a little bit more like you seem you get up there and you're very like your energy and stuff and you'll move in a certain way like I've always been I admire your your I don't know how, like what the word is but like that you move like the way you move because I'm either like I either pace or I stand straight yeah and then you know don't even touch the microphone kind of thing like it's one or the other or like just the mic stand yeah but yeah. I'm either like 
I guess maybe it's a, I feel like there has been, I've noticed that when I listen to things back that normally, like if I'm, if I'm pacing a little bit, like it's, it's normally like a good sign that I yeah. feel, but, um, that you, you feel know, like your set's going well. Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, I'll start to move and like loosen up a little bit mm-hmm. because like standing at the mic, I'm just like, I think just tight and like, you know, I guess so, nerves. Sometimes or, though, I wanted to ask though, don't you think though, with certain, certain jokes, like I feel like movement, like can distract or add to a joke. So depending upon what your set is, you know, sometimes it's like you kind of need that stillness in your body, especially like depending upon, I feel like the more complicated a joke is, the sometimes, I don't know, like if there's a lot of detail to it, like sometimes it's, you know, helpful to just kind of have people focus on your words. Do you find that um, to be true or do you find it that it, to be different for your experience? Because again, you said you don't, you're more like you'll start pacing and you'll feel more confident. So that's where your movement lies. But to how, ex- to like what extent do you feel like movement is connected to what you're delivering? Um, I think I would agree with, with what you said about how sometimes stillness, because I've noticed that on nights where I did move, I sometimes, I guess, would like maybe do a punchline thinking that in the movement and just the like the turning to one side of the crowd, I I'd noticed that like it doesn't hit like it hits a little bit. But like the other side of the crowd, like you're saying, where like maybe like a distraction, like I was taking something away from where I probably would have been better served, maybe like settling more like in the middle of the stage or the whatever it is. And delivering it like so yeah I think um I think you're right about just finding the balance which I don't think I've ever like I said I'm either one or the other where I'm like I do feel confident and I'm pacing and I'm whatever but then like jokes maybe aren't like the set goes okay and I'm not like it's not like I totally tank because I kind of misdirected my but I sometimes yeah I feel like I do like like big swings and misses on like I'm pacing and stopping and just maybe addressing something to like a little corner of the crowd. Yeah. In the moment, in the moment I thought it was gonna uh, get the rest of the crowd kind you know, like, like I thought it was going to kind of attract the, yeah, it just goes the total opposite. The people I'm directing it to feel uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> the rest of the crowd just isn't like following what I'm What's going on. Yeah. So, um, Sometimes that happens, right? Yeah, when you're like, depending on the crowd, if you just talk to a small group, it could win over the rest of the room, depending upon, yeah, like you said, though, if it's something that makes people uncomfortable. Do you feel that, um, what are some of the things that you'll talk about or joke about that make audiences uncomfortable? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Cause like, I feel like sometimes it might just be like proximity. Like there was just as a specific example, just so I can like think clearer. Cause like, I don't know if it's like the, the early afternoon weed, but I'm like, my mind's all over the place and I can't like explain myself clearly, but um, you uh, riff on the roof. You've done riff on the roof yeah okay um I did one there I guess like uh it was September not this September 
I guess the last one, whatever it was, which which is irrelevant again. A little too stoned. But uh, there were a couple chairs close to the microphone. And in those chairs where, like, I would say the crowd was majority 30s, maybe. These two young women looked maybe like like early 20s. Like they were noticeably younger than the rest of the crowd that was like, you know, 30s, 40s, maybe, or whatever. And um, I like, every once in a while, I guess like I'll try to tell, like I know it's a cheesy joke and it sounds like very like hokey pokey, but like that's the point kind of. Like, it's like, it's a, it's a, sometimes it's just to get myself comfortable, like with my own, like, I'll just tell like a joke. And um, for whatever reason, like in the middle of my set, I was kind of going up and down the whole set. Like, I feel like I was losing them. And then I felt like I was doing okay. And I felt like I was in the middle of it. I was like, oh, I'll just turn like close to them, which was just how it was set up. And I'll tell like, like, you know, the mother first like cheesy joke that comes to mind because like it'll somehow get me back in touch with like the rest of the crowd kind of thing. And those two, two young women just stared at me and the rest of the crowd, like there was no, like it was totally fucking like, like, like uh, the whole, like it just, like, I guess like bomb, like it just did not work. Nobody. The joke, nobody I, what was the joke about? Um, oh, it's one of my old, like, that I always, it's, uh, uh, I don't have a small cock, but it won't wake up a whole farm or something like that. It's like, it's just like, it's like, it's just, um, that, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. I'm not saying I have a small cock. It's just not going to wake up a whole farm. It'll wake up the farmers closest to it. It's just like, you know, I've always done it kind of just as like a, to help get myself back. Like, yeah. Um, and, and you know what it was when I watch it back, it's because I go, I go, look, I'm not saying I have a small, and I think the way I said it for a split second, there was like, there was like an energy like in the air that like maybe perceived it as me going, I have a small cock, look. So you were going to show everyone your dick? Yeah, like, and, and not like literally, like where they thought I was going to suddenly fucking, you know, I have a microphone and a beer in my hand. Like, I don't think it came off like I was gonna, but like it, it just, it just came out like backwards almost. And just mm. people just, and I'm kind of like, this is just like my little silly transition joke. Yeah. Why did they get all like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> but what's crazy is when I turned to the rest of the crowd and just changed the subject. Yeah. That was the biggest reaction of the set. Like it, so it ended up looking like I knew what I was doing. Like yeah. I'm going to yeah. tell this with total silence. But my intention was to actually hope that I just, they were just sitting really close to the microphone. And also, I felt yeah, like, the proximity, all of those things come into play. It's not just a joke. It's not just a joke. It's like, again, proximity of the audience. One little word can change it or waiting or pausing or how you stand. Like all of that uh, totally can change the outcome of how things play out. So, um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to go into, I'm going to pivot a little bit here because the whole premise of the podcast is about doing comedy and being vulnerable. Cause I, you know, I do believe um, it's performing comedy, it, particularly again, the climate that we're living in where 
you know, this idea of cancel culture, which means, oh, you can affect your livelihood could be impacted, you know, like that's kind of like, okay, that's our, our, our baseline of where we're existing right now. So I feel like doing comedy because of that as our baseline, um, you know, it's a vulnerable place to be. So I kind of wanted to talk to you first, though, about vulnerability. What does it mean for you to feel vulnerable or what is that idea to you? I would say, I would say it's, it's very important in context of stand-up comedy. Like it's probably, um, like, uh, I think it's a very good, like, like, uh, like, um, to, to talk about vulnerability with stand-up comedy. Like, I think it's very, like, that's a very perfect, like, it's maybe not the first thing you would go to if you were thinking about stand-up and the pillars of, or just performing in general or having, like, conveying a, but it really is, like, one of the most important things. Like, it always, like, every time I hear the word, it makes me think of, I don't know if you know the movie The Departed by any chance. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so yes. Vera, what's her name, is is Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, uh, psychologist because he's undercover and he's like losing his mind because he's undercover in like this like dangerous mafia, like the guy's showing him severed hands. He's like losing his mind, but they end up having sex in the uh -huh. kitchen. And right before it, she goes, your vulnerability right now is whatever so when like your gut instinct might be like oh vulnerability you're weak in a way or you're exposed in a way that makes you weak but it's also a very like compelling like in a visceral way in a in a you know so for this woman to go like oh you're so vulnerable like the man is is at like absolutely at his like he's whittled down to a a shell of constant anxiety but she desires him like physically, which is at the root of like human. So like vulnerability is like, it's very, I think uh, it, it has like a, like a twofold, like you could take it as like, I'm vulnerable, like as in not good, Yeah. but it's something, it's something that is, is very, I think vital in performance because like a great singer, they can't be so vulnerable that they don't sing. Right. Then we're going to be listening going, all right, I'm sorry you feel bad, but I don't want to listen to the, like, you know, I don't want to take this in as entertainment. It's yeah. the singer that, that can take vulnerability of like, I got my heart broken. I got my whatever, but also combine that in a way to, to, to make it sound like the medium that it is, you know? What? So, oh, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. What was it? And then hope so. Um, yeah, I guess that like, just, yeah, just finding the, the, um, the balance between like uh, uh, expressing an emotion, but you're not just expressing an emotion like you would to a friend or like in private, like you're finding a way to filter it through and make it come off to like an audience or whatever. So even though stand-up is trying to get laughs, like, you know, we laugh when we're vulnerable. <laughs> we say honest things when we're vulnerable or we don't say honest things or we find weird ways to cover things up when we're vulnerable. And these, I think, are all at play with what we think of, like, the, the mechanics of telling jokes, like the slight, you know, the misdirection or the sleight of hand or the, it's all like a trying to find the best hiding and exposing of whatever it is you're trying to convey, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that looks like you're in control. 
So I would say like a good performer, it's like, you know, controlled vulnerability is like a, is, is probably, you know, one of the most important things to, to as far as connecting with audiences and stuff, mm-hmm. because it's like a universal, it's like a universal, it plays on both sides kind of thing. Um, but then, yeah. okay, I just want to, there's two things I wanted to ask. First, before um, controlled vulnerability, doesn't that kind of sound like a oxymoron a little bit? Because it's yes. like, if you're being vulnerable, right, you're exposing yourself, um, you know, when you think about it, like, it could be physically exposing yourself to like the environment, you could be emotionally vulnerable, right, financially vulnerable. So it's like this idea of controlled vulnerability is like, if you're truly going to be vulnerable, can you do you think control will exist, really? Mm-hmm on in um in performing yes how so the i guess that it's um it's um like in other words if you're gonna go like i'm vulnerable uh in like a it all depends like if you're acutely vulnerable you know it's like if you're going up to perform you're you're probably finding a way to convey a vulnerability that you've, you've had to either, you know, live with or deal with or reflect upon, or, or maybe it's about finding in the performance, a way to convey how you felt at that moment. Like people who had their heart broken and they wrote a a hit love song, they go and sing that song for 30 years and make people feel like they're vulnerable over the lost love from, you know, or, or what actually inspired it, or it's about taking. So as far as in life, like true vulnerability, like no, but finding a way to control it in, in the, in the performance context, I feel like that is a, it is a, it's, it's an oxymoron, but it's like the oxymoron of like performing of like, you said a terrible thing and they laughed, like you tech, you know, if you took it literally, there needs to be a play on it could be vulnerability on both uh, sides. I, well, I guess you mean like the control could be like the fact that it's the safe space of a comedy club. And it's, again, these are not literal things. They're, you know, they're terrible things, in, in, but not in action. You know, it's just, again, um, also I wanted to talk to you because you brought up uh, the movie The Departed and I found your analogy interesting about how um, she kind of responded to, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio when he, he was vulnerable like that vulnerability and like don't you think though again because I find that like the correlation like what about this idea of audiences like this because to me the way you described it was like she was almost taking care of him like it was an opportunity for her to like be like oh you're so vulnerable you need me like that human connection so it's like the audiences we need the audiences it's like so I find that your point like really kind of powerful to this idea that in order for us to do what we need to do as comedians, we also need to know that we're going to be like kind of cared for in a certain way. And you, I don't know if I'm explaining the what I'm thinking, my parallels clearly. Do you get what I'm saying? I think I do. I think I do. And that's interesting because when you said like we need the audience, but do they need us kind of thing like 
Because, like, I think when things go bad, your instinct is to just go, ah, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, they didn't like me or that crowd was rough. Like, whatever it is, and you kind of go. But, like, when it, like, works and when it, it is some kind of, like, altruistic, like, who needs who more? I guess it's just in the way it, you know, the performance comes off and how it overall. But I think I know what, I think I know what you're saying about kind of, like, well, I mean, it ties back into what you were saying earlier about people maybe being like sensitive or cancel culture. And mm-hmm. when you think about that, like the way you explained it, like that's like a very beautiful thing. Like the idea of like a vulnerable, vulnerable person needing, like needing the crowd, but not needing phoniness. You know what I'm saying? Like the people really do need to be moved and they do need to laugh like in a, in a, in a, uh, I can't think of it, like an unguarded way. And mm-hmm. they're not just like, as in the comedian is vulnerable and needs the audience, but the audience can't go, oh, this person's vulnerable. Let's, what, what do they want us to do? Let's smile and laugh at what they say, even though we don't think it's, or it's not really anything to us. So I guess that's the way you explain it. I think it's kind of the same thing of what I'm saying of like controlled vulnerability in the, in the, in the performance kind of thing. It's like, uh, it's, uh, it ends up being that, but like, it can't be, it can't be like established or known between comedian and audience. You, you can't go out and be like, Hey, I really need you guys to, <laughs> I really need you guys to support me today. I really need you to laugh at what I say. I'm working on my, my 10 minutes of yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, Wait, I feel like to me, like that's where I feel like what we were, I feel like that was always like, again, going back to your point of the controlled vulnerability, it was always an understood. Like if you're going to go see someone do comedy, it was to me, I thought understood that there's going to be things that are, you know, coming up that, but it's all in the place of creating laughter. Like it might not always work, but I feel like, again, now, ever since this term evolved of cancel culture and how we really like, you know, come at people on social media really hard over certain, um, certain things. Like, it's like, well, what is this doing to people's willingness? Because I do think you have to be vulnerable. Like jokes take time. They don't always work the first joke you hit. You know, even like how you shared with your um, instance at Riff with the joke, how you all you did was flip one word and stand differently. And it totally like didn't have the outcome of what it normally did. So it was like in, in hypothetical situations, those people saw you in something that you're, you know, it wasn't your truest sense of self. So it's kind of like, how are we, what are we doing to people and their willingness to be open about who they are while also simultaneously saying, if you don't say the right thing, you're done. How does that affect your creativity? You know, what happened last week with the guy yelling at me I think really made me start to think about this because like, I, I never really, like as far as, uh, like, I guess, I mean, for the most part, I've had things happen where I think like, you know, I feel like maybe, like you're saying, like the audience judges you in a way that's not fair necessarily, but you have a, oh, you only have a limited amount of time. You can be on the microphone and by the time you get off and you feel 
you didn't handle it well and you're just not sure. You're not sure what went wrong, if it was you, if it was them. And then you have to figure out like, well, it's not worth, you know, them and me. And I've always had that like with crowds where you go like, it's never the crowd's fault. It's never the, you know what I mean? Like really, really trying not to become one of those people, like the bad crowd guy who gets off. It's a bad crowd. Like there's no such thing, but there is, but it's, it's not worth, it's not worth you. You're better off trying your best to not think about how they reacted and just what you said and not what you said, but like your material and how you performed and, and just trying to like, you know, get better yourself a little bit than, than worry so much. But, um, because the thing la- the last week blindsided me so much, I really like was kind of hung up on like, why, you know, why, why did, why w- would the audience react in that way or, or feel the need to yell over me or to, to like, so um, I think I got kind of lost a little bit on, on what I was saying, but like. You were yeah, talking like you were, yeah, you were talking about feeling safe or like people feeling safe to express themselves and like being understood that you're going to a thing and people are going to say, I think that's what's kind of scary and what can, can kind of get into my head where there's so much of a, like, where is the line? Mm-hmm. And the audience is like, and, and is it because in other ways in life, the audience always can like respond? Like, because when you used to watch a movie, you'd watch a terrible thing in a movie and you're just watching a movie nobody's around (laughs) like you know what I'm saying you could say something nobody cares they'll probably tell you to shut up because they're watching the movie Mm -hmm. like the movie's on and now it's kind of become like this idea that you can go and say something and you're trying to get to the point where it's about you and where it is exploring your vulnerabilities and your whatevers and before you say anything to even get halfway there, somebody's yelling at something, you know, yelling at you because they assumed it somehow had to do with them or about the world or about, and I think that's what happened to me the other night. I really was just trying to riff and come up with things. And I said something to just get into whatever. And the guy's like, Chappelle already did that. Go fuck yourself. And I, all I had said was like, I had said like, something world war two I, I was i really was just i had no set material yeah and i yeah. really was just trying to and i really just i think like kelsey told me afterwards she's like all you said was there were two world wars and the guy started yelling about Chappelle, and then another guy told me afterwards he's like i think that guy meant norm mcdonald because he had that joke about world war ii and i was like i don't hardly even remember mentioning world war ii <laughs> And I'm pretty fucking sure I wasn't doing Norm McDonald's joke from the fucking Tonight Show yeah. about world. Like I was trying to riff and I said something about a world war or something. And the guy was just yelling like, shut up, you fucking like. And so wow, that was like, and again, I, well, it did, I'm, I'm mad for you because first off, this jerk off, like say hi, like, hello, doesn't he know about parallel thinking? Like, what did you say? There was no need for him to interrupt your set. Yeah, and like, I think he was just really drunk. And like, I may have said, I think honestly, it might have been a little bit like because I had drank, I had drunk, I was, I was drunk, I was too drunk. But what's crazy is like, so many times I get too drunk 
And maybe I kind of would understand why the crowd would start to hate me with some of the things. And like even Kelsey said, she's like, you were really just being like relatively playful. Like your tone was like, I have a tendency sometimes like with Carl, like to get up there and to be like maybe loud and seemingly aggressive. Yeah. And I've seen audiences where I've realized like in the middle of it, like this is not the energy that these people needed and it's not the right. Like, I don't know why, but I can hear myself. I just sound like I'm screaming at people. This was like, I really was like, I wasn't. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't whatever. So like when it happened, I was a little bit like, like, uh, but I think he was, I think he was just drunk. I really, because again, like, I don't know. People are very, very sensitive lately too. So. Yeah. And it's like, I, like I said, like, I try not to think about that because again, like if I did, I feel like it really would be like a big problem for me. You know, if I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get out anything. I really will be as bad as that guy yelled, told me I was, you know, if I started to go, should I say this? Because, you know, like there's a table of middle-aged women there. Should I say, you're like, it'll, it'll, then you're going to get yourself into an un, an impossible situation. Absolutely. And think about how much of comedy, like how much of comedy is it for you? You know, like doing comedy, how much of the experience is about just like a need that you need to fulfill? I think all, like, I guess, you know, all of, you know, it's just, it's just like some kind of, I I can't really like define it, but it, it is, it is just a, I think that you know, looking at it with less like, uh, you know, just situations where things go really bad, but just looking at it on the general, I really like the idea of, of just writing things and finding out like if people would find them interesting or, or find them funny, which sounds kind of like so simplistic that it's, but it really was that like I've written my whole life, but I've never really gotten any, like I was saying earlier, like success or anything. And I think that was, to answer your question better from earlier, I think that was what drew me to comedy was that I could have like a real immediate and not like people liking something on Facebook. Like I would have a real immediate thing. I have these thoughts. I wrote some things down. I, I blah, blah, blah. Like I'm going to be able to know from actual people <laughs> like in front of me Um you know, in a way that like trying to like write a screenplay and get somebody to read it or to get something made or to get something. I was like, maybe just to prove to myself that I can write. I think maybe that's what it was. Stand-up comedy for me was was now like my ultimate because like for years I would smoke pot and read something I wrote a few years later. And if I couldn't finish the short story, I would quit. I, I would tell myself, I'm going to get really stoned I just took a shower. I feel good in the morning. I slept. I feel all right. I should be able to read a 20-page short story. But if I find myself cringing at what I've written a few years ago or not liking it or thinking it's terrible and not wanting to finish it, I'm going to just never write another thing in my fucking life. I don't care. Like, I would do it. And it got to the point, finally, where, like, obviously, when I read stuff when I was 15, it's fucking embarrassing. But it got to where like anything I wrote after a certain point, like in my 20s, I can read it and go, it's not perfect. I would change things, but I feel like I can do. But then 
that only lasted like maybe five years where yeah. I could do that. And then I was like, I think subconsciously, I was like, I need another way to prove to myself that it's worth doing any of this because I, you know, it, it doesn't feel good a lot of the time, <laughs> like a lot of the times. I like how though, you know, cause to me, it makes me think of kind of what we talked about at the beginning of with like balls of how you're actually just doing the project though, because I feel like so much of people who are creative, you get caught up in this, um, for lack of a better word, this idea of perfectionism with the work that we're creating. And especially too, I feel like we look at things like we're so hypercritical, like how you said you look back and you read things that you created when you were like 15. But in reality, that was like your first levels of creation, you know? So like thinking about we're not critical with babies when they're first doing things. So it's like, why are we so hard on our own selves and expect this level of, you know, product without recognizing where we're at in terms of learning the art yeah that's such a better way of looking like <laughs> that's such a better like it's such a better way of looking at it than than like i'm gonna burn my box of my don't box do of it no yeah. no look at you don't it do again. that with it's babies beautiful right. it's like your 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 buds your buds of you know yeah, i never thought like i never once one of all the times i thought of just destroying everything i've written I never once imagined them as babies because then I definitely wouldn't do it. I, I will not. <laughs> like, I'm not throwing a box of babies into the. Don't do it. Into- <laughs> do it for <laughs> the babies. Like, uh, goodness. But, but that's really like, I think that's actually like a better way, though. I'm glad that in, in my mind is just all over the place. But I feel like that that probably is a better way of saying, like, I finally in my late 20s was like, you know, I never had a specific vision, like I'll be a stand-up com- comedian, but like, I feel like I was always trying to write funny things. I, I tried to write funny TV show pilots or whatever they're called. It, so I was kind of like, it was just that really like, well, I'm going to try to write some funny things. And and now I have a actual, some people will be there that'll, um, and it's also another thing because if you can kind of like evolve things and ideas in a way that like you're your manuscript collecting dust can't necessarily unless you're that type of person like I'm the type of person where I was just like I fuck this up and just leave it unfinished or whatever you know like the empty files on the computer or this thing and the but like with stand-up like perfectionism yeah people will go oh that's a perfect joke or that's a blah 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 or that's like a perfect five minutes but you can take out two of those minutes and it may be a thousand times better. Doesn't mean you're when you did it, the five minute version, like it wasn't good or it wasn't connecting with that specific audience. But you can, you know, keep shuffling the cards with your ideas and your yeah. creations and they can kind of turn into, you know, a one liner. I, I had to realize that about certain things, because when I first started, I liked the idea of I did not grow up in the era of like the one liner joke. So I, I like the idea of like, I'm going to start doing stand-up comedy at 28 and I'm going to tell like one liners, like fucking, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's mm-hmm. just not, it's just not the comedians, you know, like, like the Louis CK and the confessional and the, you know, the hour specials. Like I didn't grow up necessarily like loving like Rodney Dangerfield or Henny Youngman and those, you know, those like old timey. And I like the idea of like, 
but sometimes I would have to remind myself that like that silly one-liner could be a story or it could be a longer joke that maybe people won't hear what I'm saying. Cause the one-liner, they either like it or they don't. Right. But if you have 20 of them, you know, every third one, if you can just, you know, if you can pick up the momentum, like Rodney Dangerfield, it's like his first one. It's like laugh in the corner. The second one, it's like a laugh in both corners and a couple people. And then the third one, the entire crowd is like, all right, we got to give it to you. We've been fighting you for the first two punchlines, but like we like, and I never wrote one liners to where I could do more than maybe like two minutes of them at once or whatever. But like, because of stand up, like the, the medium, I'm not sitting there going like, well, I just got to leave that as is for the rest of, I go, no, like I'd have to like, you know, every once in a while I'd be like, why don't you tell that old one-liner that you used to do, but then like riff off of it. And I find, I found that like, you know, there can be three minutes or five minutes can turn into a story or whatever. So yeah, I think yeah. that that's a little bit something about standup. Um, that's a little bit, I guess, different than other mediums, which maybe drew me to it because like, you know, that's like an intriguing thing where you can one, get live audiences, but then also be yeah. able to continue to like switch things and, and play with them in ways. But it's very, it's a very wonderful experience. It's, you know, I love again, being able to talk with fellow comedians about this, because like I said, I find it to be such a weird little micro world that exists but it's such a blessing and I know for myself it's brought so many things to like my own personal experiences what about for you what has comedy added to you for your life personally like how has it impacted you other than you know performing like what do you what would you say tangibly gave you a lot of sadness and a lot of uh (laughs) no um I would say that I think it gave me it gave me like, I noticed that it gave me an outlet and I felt in a positive way, um, less inclined to talk for no reason in my real life. I think in a weird way, it kind of like, it, it, it helped me, um, which is, there's no evidence in this, in in this, uh, show here of like me just talking nonstop, like a fucking (laughs) idiot. But I noticed after I started doing stand up, just that, like, that thing that was positive and negative in life, like my defense mechanism, I think like in school growing up, it was always, I guess, try to entertain people or not exist. You know, like when I talked, I would just try to be funny and like harmless, but entertaining, I guess. And that was good in a way and bad in a way because I was never vulnerable with people. I was never, I never really like, I never really got close to people, the things that are like good, like relationships and stuff. Like I was very, I think I was very isolated from. And so obviously much later in life, I feel like the idea of like throwing myself out there with a microphone and trying to be the entertainer of that, you know, five minutes or whatever. I think in life it like, I think kind of like calmed down um, the need to, to talk, like, you know, just exist, I guess. And, and not, there's, it's certain, it definitely killed a certain anxiety. And I think it maybe caused new ones too, (laughs) but like, it's just how it goes. But I think a certain little like anxiety in life, as far as like what it got to me, like it's, 
I think I heard like Bill Burr talk about like he tries to fly planes and shit now because all he does is perform like for theaters of people who love him. And it, he needs like some kind of like risk taking to kind of like make whatever his life is real or what. And I think stand up did that for me in my own little like, you know, just trying stand up and not really having like a, any kind of like real success or anything. Just like in life, I noticed I could wake up the next day and just maybe something that would have bothered me years ago, like going to a thing or just going to a store, which would riddle me with anxiety or something. Uh-huh. I, I would just, I would just go and do it. Um, and then like the whole, like the, the, the pandemic and the masks and like that kind of flipped that all on its head. I was doing so good in life. I was like doing stand-up comedy gave me context to go out to places where people are social. I never went to bars. I never really had friends. I never had like, you know what I mean? And like, well, if I'm going to the place to do stand-up, that like allowed me to get comfortable like at a bar. Like I felt like Brighton Bar like felt like I was home. Like I'd never been comfortable at a place outside my home before really until I started doing stand-up, which I think got me more acclimated to just being, you know, being able to go somewhere yeah. and just not uh, just be riddled with anxiety and overthinking and, and whatever. That's like basically my entire life was that. So I, well, I say love that. that. I think that's pretty epic. And I think that, you know, especially too, like, cause again, I feel like comedy can be so many things. So I think it's awesome. Like, again, to hear the things that comedy brings to people besides what, you know, being on stages. And I think, you know what I mean? I feel like that's why I really want to cultivate this idea, um, you know, and just encourage people to keep doing comedy, keep being vulnerable. Cause like, again, I feel like for us, then it opens up so much space within us, which, you know, I know for myself, I kind of can relate to what you said. I feel like more peaceful because of doing comedy. I have a more internal sense of peace. And I think it kind of connects like, again, because it just, you get a chance to kind of be like, hey, I exist. This is what I need to say. You know, shouting into the void. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. shout. What, can I just ask you, like, is there something that, um, that you have said on stage that, like, bothered you for one reason or another? Like, that once, like, upon however much time of reflection, it was about, like, what you said and not so much the interaction maybe with, a crowd or something or something that maybe you said like spur of the moment where you were like why the fuck did I you know what I'm saying like oh yeah I think like once a week once okay I think yeah I think it's a regular occurrence for me because like in my personal life as a normal regular person non-comedian I don't really have a filter anyway you know um I tend to be very bluntly honest and then doing comedy, you know, it's like, okay, here you have a microphone in your hand. So it's like, I, and like, I grew up, like, I'm older than you. So like, I grew up, like, you know, the things that I grew up on, what we grew up on, it was a very different sense of what was acceptable. Like just looking at shows today and seeing how they have an age well, but it's like, I'm not going to deny that didn't have some sort of impact upon my psyche and my sense of humor. Like, that would be ridiculous to be like, oh no, all of these years that I took this information in hasn't impacted the way I output. So um, I like, again, I feel like too, like this idea of cancel culture, woke culture, 
you're ignoring the fact that people grow up in certain contexts and things change over time. And it's like, you know, I just feel like we need to, I really want to be a little bit kinder. Like, I just feel like just, I, you know what I mean? Like relax. I'm so, and I'm willing to say, sorry. Like I know some comedians will never apologize for a joke. I will always apologize because like, again, I'm not trying to go out here and make people like, oh my God, cry and be all emotional because it's not that serious. <laughs> Nothing is that right. serious. Life is fucking serious when it needs to be. But not everyone has my outlook. So it's unfair for me to assume that. But that doesn't mean I don't say things on stage. Because like I said, I'll, I'll, I like to ride on the edge. I like to make people uncomfortable. I really enjoy that. So... <laughs> You know, like yeah. I said, I could just think about things like, and there's a lot of jokes. I'd be like, I don't want people actually, like, I would feel like people might hear it and assume something about me. Like, you're a horrible person. It's like, okay, well. Right. And what is it about necessarily like, because, I mean, I've gotten feedback and I guess I've made people uncomfortable, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like you said, like you like making people uncomfortable. So you like what that maybe like you like what that brings out of you and how you think and stuff like your reaction to it because it like fuels or is it you would say it's built into like, say, your style of comedy? Um, I think for, I, you know, I think personally I do as a woman for a long time, because it took me a very long time to try comedy, um, you know, and just for most of my life being conditioned to be pleasant, you know, so it was kind of like, that was just like how I was raised and how I operate in the world. And it's like, avoid conflict at all costs. So it kind of felt nice personally to have comedy to be like, no, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, I kind of like it. I felt like this must be what it'd be like to be a man, <laughs> you know, okay. like I'm going to say this shit and fuck you if you're unhappy about it. And also too, a lot of this stuff, I feel like anything that I joke about too, I, it's like, I feel like I could explain it. Like, I don't think like if you want to, and you're not supposed to explain the jokes, but I feel like any provocative joke that I have, I could be like rationalize of where it's coming from, you know? Cause like I said, I like, I want to kind of like talk about things that make people think a little bit. Um, and if you can do it in a funny way, like I feel like that's awesome, but it also does feel really powerful as well to kind of watch people be like, okay, I'm going to say this, they're uncomfortable and then bring them back. There's something really exciting about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the way you're explaining it, like with the, the uncomfortable and then bringing them back, like it, it, it creates exactly what you were saying earlier, like the, the, you know, you go to a comedy show, expect there to be a comedy show. So to have like the, they're maybe a little uncomfortable, but you bring them back. Like yeah. that's you kind of bringing that, that exact distinction, you know, to like your performance where like, maybe they did feel a little bit like whatever. And then you bring them back and it's that, that, you know, it proves and shows like, yeah, it's just, the comedy show like we're we're having a good time and it's supposed to be like the attempt of entertainment and not whereas you know uh unfortunately yeah, yeah people can seem to be like they can kind of like jump you know like if you're going like you're putting something out there which is maybe uncomfortable territory it's your you are in control you are the boat captain yes like, like you know you're like there's a there's a reason 
why you're going through like the choppy water temporarily. If the second the people on the boat felt it like whoosh or something and they ran in and took the wheel from you or whatever it is, it's kind of like the boat is not what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to, but um, but what do you like? Do you like, do you like interacting with crowds though? Like as far as like, at least like, you know, heckling when it's not just over the top and like, you like enjoy that you can, or would you rather ideally kind of just be, you know what I'm saying? Like have the context, like, do you feel like it brings like uh, things uh, you know, that you didn't re- maybe realize were like in a, in a joke or in a concept, or do you really, do you think it just kind of like derails you in a way where you just have to deal with it in the moment and then move on kind of thing? I definitely, like, I definitely am very in tune. Like, I feel like the crowd, um, you know, so, and they, I feel like they do have the power to derail me, which is probably why I also kind of fixate, like, okay, no, it's like, you know, I'm just kind of like coming up and learning. I still feel like, you know, how to like not let the crowd, because I fixate on the people that aren't having a good time or that aren't laughing or just looking neutral. I like, I don't know why I perseverate on them, but I don't know, like, um, I like doing it. It's very fun, but I do like also too, like, you know, I just want to be able to like do comedy and have a space to be like, listen, I'm just trying this because it's all coming out of my life and my experience. It's like, and you don't know me, you just know this of what I'm sharing right now. And it's like, you know, I just feel like we got to relax because it's like life is just hard enough, you know, like that's one thing too about being older. Like I've, you go through shit life. You're going to deal with a lot of shit. So it's like, why am I going to be angry or annoyed or triggered all the time? And also too, thinking about like what I personally try to do, if I'm triggered by something, someone says, try to be like, well, why am I so reactive to this? What is this telling me? You know, and really kind of like look inward as opposed to be yelling outward. Yeah, I see what you, yeah, that's a good way to, um, yeah, because like I feel like I relatively, I would always like classify myself as something like, there's not a lot, I would always like say it kind of half joking, like, I've hated myself my entire life. I hate everything that I am. Like, I can't imagine coming across something said in entertainment or just even on the television, no matter what it is. Like, I can't imagine being offended by definition of what that means. And people would be like, well, maybe it's because you're a white guy. Like, you know, and I get it or whatever. But like, I've always thought of myself like that. I know, I don't think. But then, like, there have been maybe things, like, as life has gone on, and I realized that, like, that was the reaction I had was much more, like, oh, why did that bother me? Like, kind of thing, or why did that not not bother me or offend me, but why did that get into my mind, or why did that make me? And normally, it's a just, it's a good thing. It's something something that, you, you know, you don't realize you relate to, or is something that's maybe commenting on something that you know to be true yeah either like about yourself or about you know anything in your life or whatever but um but yeah because like like you were saying you you know television and shows and stuff like it didn't seem like and also like age well when we say age well that's like a such a weird thing to say because what is it based on like right, right now like 
So, you know. You can't, if you don't know something, you can't not know it. Like you can't expect people to be have behave differently because we have the knowledge now that you didn't have then. Yeah, cause like, you know, a guy like Archie Bunker, 50 years ago, they would just be amazed that they were watching a man on a screen that had buttons and stuff. So it's like, well, that hasn't aged well. It's like, well, if you read the Marquis de Sade, they teach courses on them. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote like 800 long page, like 800 pages of just bizarre, like what seemed like rape fantasies. But there's a movie called Quills that people loved with a good, like, you know, with a big actor in it. And that goes back like hundreds of years. So like, what, what is this age? Well, like that hasn't aged well. Well, age well, how? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, that's so true as well. Exactly. Like, you know but what like, I mean? Like, because especially when you think about like things are supposed to change over time. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, that gives us a measurement of progress. So I think if anything, we've aged well, <laughs> that we're like looking back and being like, okay, well, this is kind of weird. This is the problem. <laughs> so I just want to say it's been awesome talking with you today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoy watching your comedy. I love, again, I find you to be really creative and really you just do things like I feel very uniquely, like I love your style. So I really like, again, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today, Carl. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And I apologize about the black screen and over talking or not making sense. I just like, yeah, I have, I don't know. My mind started racing and I was just like, I wanted to say things because I like the concept of your show. Like when you post it and you have the, the, whatever you call it, like the mission statement of like what you're exploring. I'm always like, oh, I got a thousand things to say about that very clearly. <laughs> and then the second you started talking to me, I was like a blithering idiot for about a half hour. No, so, you were great, hopefully. Carl. It was so good to talk to you. And I appreciate that you watch. Um, and it's so, like I said, I really like love engaging with you guys talking about this. Because like I said, I know sometimes um, I feel like, again, comedy should be fun. And I want it to be fun, but sometimes it's really scary. So I like to talk to people who also kind of maybe have different feelings about comedy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it can. But I want it to be fun again, too. So you've inspired me to be like, I'm going to have fun. Yeah. I'm going to try to have fun. It's so hard to do. It's so, <laughs> it's why, like, it's, why do we make it so fucking hard to have fun? I know, right? It's it, yeah. yeah. It's like it's it's more true than like just thinking about it now. I'm like Jesus Christ. Like yeah, I, I go into it every time. Like gonna just relax, have a good time, get my stuff off. <laughs> I'm driving home like crying. Like what am I doing myself? Talk about vulnerable. Yeah, that's that's me after every sex I do. So, yeah, so, so thank insane. you. So much. There's something so insane about it. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. And Carl, one more time, do me a favor, just plug your social media and where we can listen to balls. Okay, I'm Carl C. Callen on Facebook, the Carney Commission on Instagram, it's at Carney Commission. Um, and balls is under Carney Commission. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
and um like we we do it through anchor so it's on anchor through those things but um it should come up just balls just balls the word balls which weirdly enough there's really not any show that put out substantial amounts of episodes there's balls other things things connected to balls or references but just balls is like we're one of like we're one of the only like few so it'll pop up in red letters balls and that's that's our show awesome that, that of course you were on and yeah thank you it was so star, fun to be on which is one of my yeah like i like that episode and, and um so but yeah it's it's on the things that that are normally apple and all that stuff so wonderful um, and i look forward to having you back on the new season we're working on it now so um That's awesome I look yeah. forward to seeing you do stand-up soon. I hope it is very soon. I yeah, I'm I'm the, the new year. Christmas is kind of weird because the because of the job I have. It's like very holiday oriented, so it gets kind of crazy. But like I'm committed to like starting to get back into it like after the new year. Um, so I'll I'll see you. I'll see you a bunch of times. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you again, Carl. All right, thank you.